Thanks, guys and girls. Is guys an uh, inclusive term? It is a. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> so I can say guys and just peoples. Peoples. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Um, Russell, <laughs> sorry. Please come and read to us from the scriptures. We're going to have a few guests today. And I don't know if I introduced myself if you're new here. My name's Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Um, we're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you'd like to follow along. And the first 15 verses, Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to bear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones at a t and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is, has already been, and what has been before, sorry, and what will be, has been before, and God will call the past to account. Thanks, Russell. He's got it. Yeah, so I asked Russell to read that passage from Ecclesiastes today because um, the season that we're in as a church and, and the season that we are wanting to build into as a church and the season is this now of establishing. So those who were here last week, you heard me talk a little bit about the history of the church. We sort of started on the veranda of a house and moved around and ended up moving over here and building. And at one stage it was very much like that's never going to happen. This is, this is the finances we have, this is what's happening and 
You know, we, we had a special day called the Wood Collection Day and people brought in their offerings and then over the next few years, in fact, in three and a half years from that date, we had $890,000 in the bank. From a very small congregation of about 50 to 60 people, we managed to build up these funds to come over here and build. What an exciting time. What a time when we could see God move and, and we're just like, wow, is this possible? And now we're over here, we're into a new season, which is a, a season to establish, and we're going to be having another day called the, I don't know, Debt Buster Day or something, um, either the last week of February, which is the 28th, I believe, or the week after that, where we're going to have a time where we do exactly what we did on that day, but the difference is this, now we're entering into a season where we're starting to have to pay off the principle of this loan on this church. So I'm calling out to everyone and say, guys, do you remember we made a decision over there? Now, some of you might not be there, but you're part of this church. We all sat down, we all voted, guys, we want to build. This is how much it's going to cost. As far as we know, this is the loan we're going to have. It had to increase a little bit. But we sat down and we said, we're all in this together. And that's what we're in it today as well. And we have a, an amazing opportunity as a church to actually establish for the future, for future generations, the ones that are here. And those who weren't there, and especially younger people, this is the time for you to stand up and say, you know what, I'm actually going to be part of kingdom building. Because to be honest, mostly the older folk in the church, they've been in church for a long time, they've established churches, they've given, they've given finance, they've given time, they've given their talents, their treasure, everything to build the kingdom of God. And the season now is this different season where we're starting to go, okay, we're getting old now. I'm hitting 50 and over. Now we're 50 in about 10 years' time. <laughs> but there's this call now for that younger generation to go, well, what do you want to do about the kingdom of God? You see these amazing men and women around you that have lived their life for Jesus and sown into the kingdom. Maybe it's time that you started to go, you know what? I'm going to actually take some responsibility for this as well. And so what we're going to be doing is having our day where we do the same thing. There'll be um, a time to fill out a form, a, what we call a pledge, that be two things that we want to achieve with that. One is to pay off the building we have as quickly as we can without it being a big, huge burden to do that. And number two, to release future financial giving to allow for growth within the church, so growth of ministries, growth of what this church does within this community. Remembering this, that only the seeds that are planted will produce a crop. The seeds that we hold on to produce nothing. It's only the seeds that end up in the ground that grow and produce a crop, but they produce a great, great crop. And as we're reading through that passage, or as Russell was reading the passage of, in Ecclesiastes, it talked about the seasons, the time to do certain things, the time to plant, the time to harvest. It's funny because when we moved over here, it was very much like when I was thinking about it and praying and stuff like that, God said, you're actually planting the church again. What happens when you first start? You're planting. You're like, so when we first started the church, there's uncertainty, there's hard work, there's, there's effort, there's lack of finance because you've got no people here or hardly any people and you're building that up. But moving over here was very much definitely another church planting time. Well, like we're here to plant the church and now it's been planted, it's time to start watering, to start going, okay, we are going to establish who we are. 
which will come to that point of paying off the principal on this loan. Why? So we can free up finance for other things that, that are important. So there's going to be an opportunity to fill in a pledge form, just as we did those many years ago. And on the actual wood collection day, we, gave, we had over $100,000 worth of pledges from 60 people, 50 to 60 adults. Don't you think that's amazing? And sometimes we look and we think, well, we can't do this. But there's a, 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 um, a beautiful, amazing thing about the power of many. The power of many multiplies what you have to move it into something that's very, very useful, which is what I want to talk about today. I also want to talk about um, the different types of churches we can have. And what church do you want in terms of how we look after it, how we finance it, how we grow? What sort of church do you want? Where's your heart invested in? Because I think there is a, a good way to have a church and a good way to have finance and then there's two other ways, which are, I don't know, you often hear me talking about the ditches on each side of the road, right? Each mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And we can go off into one side or the other. And what I've seen in church life is very much both things, that there's this ditch of excess and there's a, a ditch of stinginess that we can fall into as, as people and as churches. We don't want to be in either one of those things. We want to be in a church that we can trust, that's well-managed, that, that is well-resourced and well-financed and the people are loving it and they're working hard towards what God has for the kingdom. And when you have that opportunity yourself to fill out that form in two to three weeks, it'll be exactly the same. We can do it two ways. One, you can say, you know what, I can't give a lot of money right now, but I'm going to give $10 for three years, extra over the next three years. That's what I'm pledging to do. This amount of money over three years or over one year or over two years. Or you might be in that situation right now where God's blessed you with either um, something that you didn't expect or you've just been a very good saver. You've saved up and you're feeling like, you know what, I want to actually smack some money on this loan and knock down the, the amount of the loan straight away. Either of those ways. But the power that we have as a collective is amazing. Is there anything in the Bible about this? Absolutely. The Bible's full of good stuff. You can think of verses like, you know, about one will put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. There's somehow this multiplying thing that happens. But the verses that I want to look at are in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and starting at verse 19 about the power that is available to the church. Now, when you read this, on the surface, you'll go, well, that just says power, but what does that mean? And I want to sort of break down a little bit what that word power means. As we read through the passage, you're going to see the word power, dunamis in the Greek, which is what the Bible is translated from. Does it sound like dynamite a little bit? That's exactly the root word of that, the dynamite, this amazing power that God gives. Even above the power of many, it's the power of many plus God which is basically the power of God, because compared to his power, it's nothing. But when we understand that God can be with us as we work together as a church, it can actually really excite us about what God might do, not just in this area that we're talking about right now in finance, but in every area that there's this power of God to do amazing miracles in your life, to transform things and change them around, and that's the power that we should live in. So let's have a little look at that, that Ephesians verse. So we're reading Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 19 to 23. If you have your Bible, follow along and, and read along on the Bible, Bible app, whatever it might be. But as you can see, it's on the screen as well. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. And this is after Paul's been praying about certain things and he's adding on another part to this prayer. Um, and this is like one of those prayers that I just encourage you to go and read and pray over your family in Ephesians 1. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made, his, and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I mean, just looking at that passage itself, doesn't it just lift your spirit? Can I know this power? This power that has seated Christ at the right hand of the Father and this, this power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to me? That is awesome, right? So let's sort of look a little bit further at what that word really means. Let me have that slide up, please. Dot points. <laughs> when, um, when I gave them the, the overhead, they're like, you don't ever have dot points. But I do today. So this is what that word power actually means. It means strength, power, ability, inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or thing exerts and put forth, Power for performing miracles. Moral power and excellence of soul. The power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. Power and resources arising from numbers. Power consisting in or, or resting upon army forces or hosts. You see, <laughs> this power is huge. And not only that, in the first verse of, in Ephesians 1.19, it talks the greatness of his power that word greatness means the supernatural power. The great, that greatness of his power means it's supernatural, it's beyond what we know, or anything like that. But what I've highlighted there, have a look at that, the power and resources arising from numbers. Does that make sense to everyone? That individually, sometimes we don't have enough, but collectively we do. So that's why they have those farm collectives. A farm might have a certain amount of things to sell, but actually when they all put it together, they can make a business. And they can sell things together and make a profit where they can't buy themselves. The resources of all those people are put together and managed by one person so that, so that they can actually do something. It's the same as when we're doing a task. Like Sometimes like if you've ever been in business, you, you'll be looking at a task. So say in our tree lopping business or landscaping, you look at a task and you go... Yeah, that job's going to take 10 hours and you finish it in an hour. Why is that? You had 10 people working on it. Simple maths, right? And it's the same with us as the people of God that we're called to come together and understand the power of the collective in all those areas. When we walk together in morality and the power that God gives us to walk that way, as a people of God, what does that do? It shows to the world that Christ is alive and living. When we walk together and we're believing for miracles, there's a power in that because there's a collective belief that God is actually going to do something. We are not called to individuality as a church. 
We are called as individuals to be one in Christ and that's what we, we want to have happen. And so we are going to have an opportunity as a church to sow into the future ministry of this church, into our city, into the lives of those that need to hear the gospel. In all honesty, I'm hoping that as a church in between five to ten years, all of a sudden there's such freedom here in this church and finances because we've knocked down the debt of this church, we've, we've, we've allowed extra so that we can actually grow ministries, that the people that follow us are going to, going to be able to eat some of that fruit that we've planted. And they've got their own fruit to plant. But as God said, there's seasons for everything, a time to sow and a time to reap. We are still in that sowing time. We're reaping in other areas, but we're still in that sowing time. We're still in that sowing time and we'll be in it for probably two to three years, establishing who we are here. And things do get easier and easier as more and more people come and say, you know what, I love Cornerstone, I'm calling it my home, and my heart is for this place. What would that mean for us, for this building, before I um, talk a little bit more about what type of church do we want? In normal ways, as we enter into this new season, if we were like, you know what, we're just going to pay this church off in 20 years, what would the cost be for the people here today? Now, I'm going to base this on 100 people, all right? There should be more than that, adults here. $11 a week each. That's not a lot, is it? <laughs> to think about, if you're like, you know what, thinking of the future of this place, yep, 20 years, $11 a week. What if we decided to do it in 10, 10 years and we were like all fired up, considering we will keep growing as a church. This is just on the base figures, no change in the amount of interest we're paying because the principle stays the same. In 10 years, it would mean $33 per week extra. We've halved that time of what it would take to pay off the church fully and completely. Now, I understand some people are out there going, well, I don't have the capacity for this. You know, I just don't have room to move and that's because you're in that season. It doesn't matter. Because there's others that have a bigger capacity at this time. And maybe another time you'll have a bigger capacity, they'll have less capacity, but I never want this to be a guilt thing, you know, that, you know, let's feel guilty and, and the pressure of giving and we have to do this and we have to pay it off. Like I looked at even five years and I'm like, oh yeah, that's like up around $68 a week extra each. <laughs> starting to get a bit more taxing, but you know what? There are actually some people that could do that. Who, who would that be? I don't know. And it has been, honestly, a little hard for the church at this time because we know that COVID's been going through. There's been pressures on people, pressures on finance, but we've had an amazing group of people that have kept giving and loving this church. In fact, they gave too much because we couldn't get JobKeeper. <laughs> Our finance didn't drop enough. But that's the reality of life sometimes. You do get seasons when things are tougher. But I do trust in God and I believe in God and I believe in the power of togetherness. And I believe the burden when it's shared around is not that heavy at all. In fact, those figures I just gave to you, when you hear that, 
you're probably like, oh yeah, that's actually not a lot of money. Because we can freak out and be scared, but like I said, when, I, when we looked at building this church, honestly, it took a miracle from God and the hearts of people to be moved and stirred by what he would have for this community. And what we see today is nothing compared to what God wants to do in the future with this church and the people that are here who really are the church. And so it's really up to us what we want our church to be like. What do you want the church to be like? What do you want it to look like? How do you want it to be resourced? How do you want it to feel? What type of church do you want? We won't look at those slides yet. We're just going to talk about this for a minute. Does anyone remember Jim and Tammy Backer? I think some people say Baker. It's got a double K, so it could be Baker or Backer. TV evangelists back in the 80s and stuff like that. He got sent to jail for fraud, accounting fraud. He also, according to Wikipedia, had a secret payoff that he did to pay someone off because he had an affair. They had a TV station running and they were pulling in over a million dollars a week from people around the world asking them for money for their ministry, for what they're doing. They opened an amusement park and had that as part of their financing. They had air-conditioned kennels for their dogs, (laughs) all paid for by other people. That sort of stuff makes us feel sick, right? And no doubt that's not the only person that you could think of that, that has entered into that type of thing where, where you've got this place that's out of control. There's excessive spending, there's a lavish lifestyle, they're, they're buying private jets, going to the best parties, staying in the best hotels. They're not considering anyone else but themselves. That type of church would be a tragedy, don't you think? Where there's pretty much no control, and, and we'll look at that in a second. That's one side of the ditch that we think about, that, that ditch where it's just like, you know what, there's complete power in one person, they just take money, they do with it what they want, there's no accountability. And then there's another side, the other ditch, and I'm going to actually invite someone up to talk about that. And it's my mum, who just so happened to have a father who was in the ministry, and her experience of what that was like for them. Come on up, mum. <laughs> Let's give her an applause, yeah. Because she had me. No. <laughs> Do you want to chair mum or not? Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> she just may. She's got three pages of notes. <laughs> In number eight, <laughs> if one. Um, I had a really. Is that on? Wait. Okay. Then yep. oh. <laughs> off again. There you go. Okay, I just thought I'd call this a tale of two parishes, okay? So, about my mum and dad. My mum, Betty Jean Price, from Maryborough, Queensland, married my father, 
Wilfred John Evans in 1940. So we're going... Okay. Mum was then aged about 21 years and Dad aged 29. And Dad had been in building trades and stuff before he entered into the ministry. Wilfred and Betty shared a Christian faith. Her father played an active part in the Church of Christ as a lay preacher and hymn writer. Wilfred, who was brought up Methodist, joined the Church of Christ sometime in his 20s and accepted a call to the ministry around when he and Betty married. They came south to Melbourne in 1941, which was like immigrating from Queensland down to Victoria back then. It was sort of immigrating. Emigrating. Okay, so he could study at the College of the Bible. For a while, Betty worked as matron of a student hostel. Betty's two older children were born during this period, my brother and I, and these notes are from my brother. He's got a memory like an elephant and remembers all the facts. Okay. Wilfred took up his ministry at Stall in Victoria in 1945 and added some probation officer duties to his preaching. Betty taught Sunday school and also in 1945, Wilfred transferred to the then Presbyterian Church. Okay. From 1946 to 49, the family lived in Snake Valley near Ballarat. Wilfred became a, very much, became a very much liked pastor, serving a three-church parish. Betty ran the Sunday school and did all the um, things that a pastor's wife usually does, all the women, women's guilds and stuff like that. In those days, ministers were only allowed to stay in a parish for around four years, but I don't know why, but they had those terms and shifted them on. Maybe in case they got someone they didn't like or something. Okay, so Wilf and Betty arrived in the Shire of Warrail late in January 49 with their first two children and lived in the old Presbyterian manse beside the church on Jill Street. There were six congregations then and sometimes four services every Sunday, which we kids all had to go to. Sometimes we went to four services because we didn't have babysitters or nannies or anything. Wilf threw himself into ministry, combined with theology studies. Um, Betty did the same thing, Sunday school superintendents at all of these little churches. Okay, sadly, ill health caused Wilf to leave the ministry in 1954. Okay, so what's this got to do with anything? Well... This is to do with the two parishes. The first parish was, like, you just have to go back to this was post-war and everyone was poor. So everybody lived in poverty, not just my dad and mum. But I have to say the stipend um, or salary set by the Presbyterian Church was below the basic wage. And my brother describes it as between the poverty line and the basic wage, okay? Now, that didn't worry them that much because they both brought up in big families and everyone was poor around Australia at that time from the war effort and all those things. But 
First Parish was pretty generous. Even though we were very poor, there were tradespeople around the town who really respected what Dad was doing and we got a lot of free groceries and help with this and that. There was no church car, but the parish people would drive Dad to all the different services that he had to take. He, they had, were very generous and would always pick him up and sometimes us as well. So, and they were very helpful in many ways. The church was always in good nick and the house was kept in good nick as well. But when Dad got to Menian, it was just a little bit different. It's still the same wage and the church still supplied the house, but the house was a big sticking point. Here's the list of what was wrong with it, okay? It was built in 1914, which is pre-World War One. Okay, there were leaks in the roof, holes in the spouting, Front veranda had big holes in it where people had gone through the boards. Um, back veranda was all warped and wobbly. There were some stumps of the house needed to be replaced, an old weatherboard home. No fridge or electrical appliances, no appliances, no hot water, and all sorts of other things. <laughs> like the, we had tank water and the Tank stands were leaning over a little bit like that. You know, they could have fallen off. The tank could have fallen off at any time. However, every time my poor dad would go to the church authorities, they would never vote money for repairs. Now, my dad could have done them because he was a tradie and had worked with builders, um, but no, there was no money for materials apparently. Okay, so I'm just leaving that with you. And this went on and on. When he, my dad had to buy his own car in the end, which brought him into big debt, but he had to build his own garage. <laughs> he was allowed to build a garage, which he did very, a very solid garage, which is still standing to this day. And I think to myself, maybe we should have shifted out of the house into the garage. That would have been. <laughs> It would have been more solid and it wouldn't have wobbled around when there was a wind coming up the hill. Okay, so, yeah, for some reason, every time... Um, oh, and Dad did that off donated materials, by the way. The church didn't supply the materials. I think some builders in the town did some, give him some scrappy things that had leftovers. Okay, when Dad... He was quite broken at the end of his ministry there. There was lots of other things I won't go into. He was quite broken, even though he'd increased the number of people going around the traps to the churches and everybody loved his ministry. There was this um, appearance and behind the scenes there was a lot of stress. Uh, so when Dad became ill and it seemed like he'd have to be hospitalised for some time, the head honchos down in Melbourne cut him off. So he was thrown out of the ministry without a cent. And my mum was given three weeks to vacate the manse because that belonged to the church, so she couldn't stay there to see what was going on and wait a little bit till we saw how Dad was doing. 
Okay, so off she had to go. No single mother's pensions, no allowances, no Medibank care, no hospital payments, all that. So she was sort of left in the lurch with three children by then and another one coming. So that's two different churches that we were at. Oh, my dad left the ministry, of course, because he was told to, and... um, Sadly, I don't remember him ever attending church again till the day he died, okay, which was awfully sad. He didn't lose his faith, but he lost his faith in the church, so that was awful. So, in conclusion, we did come through. God was very good to us in many, many, many ways that I won't go into, but... Um, was sad because that gift was definitely in my dad. Lots of people around the district used to tell us later on how much they'd loved his ministry, how much they'd loved his preaching. And I felt, look, looking back from today, that was a gift that was lost due to all those stress factors behind the scenes. So, okay. Thank you, Mother. Yeah, so as Mum said, I haven't really heard much of that stuff before. I was just talking to her about things. And and the other thing that she told me was the district that they were in was one of the richest farming districts in Victoria. People were wealthy, but they just didn't want to support what the church was doing through their minister of the time, of course. And so here we've got these two pictures of a church that that perhaps, or a ministry, it's probably not really a church, but I'm sure there's churches like that, where you've got someone just excessive, pounding people for money week after week for their own gain. And you've got the other side of it where the people just really don't care. They are not connected with the kingdom of God at all. Like as mum said, you know, people around the district would say, oh, we loved your dad, we loved his preaching, we loved his ministry, but they didn't love him. And that's a tragedy, Right? That's an absolute tragedy. So I just wanted to bring up um, three types of churches and then I'm going to introduce you to some very, very special people at this church. You're all very, very special, but these are the specialists. No, kidding. <laughs> can, I, can you bring up that list, please, for me, Lauren? What type of church do we want? So this is the choice we're making. I can be honest with you, like if we looked at the average income, everything like that, if we wanted to go to tithing and say, you know, let's all try and tithe, we would romp it in financially in this church. Probably have the church paid off in four years. But what type of church do you want? A poorly supported, poorly resourced, poorly maintained, poorly paid and stressed ministry staff with high control? Why do I say high control? Because what happens when there's lack of resources is everyone focuses in on every little thing. What are you doing? Did you just really buy a pencil? And I remember hearing a story Bill Hybels gave about that and, and how they had this music team member and they bought these special pencils so they could mark notes on the page and he went off at them. He went off at them. And he said it was so bad and so wrong, but, but the stress of the situation had caused that to happen. 
And so what happens is you end up being this really high control place where the congregation are always staring at everything, the, the committee's always staring at everything, the pastor's always stressed out because they, they're just like feeling that everyone's watching them and keeping tabs of every little thing they do. Did you go and have a coffee? What were you doing sitting down for 10 minutes in the coffee shop? Why aren't you out doing what we've asked you to do? There's a control that happens, a controlling sort of spirit that happens in that church. Um, the second one there, compelled or pressured support. In other words, it's like, give me your money. You need to do this. You see excess on spending, that everything's like gold and silver and whatever it is, and, and there's no accountability for finance at all. And that's also high control, but it's a different control. It's where you have the leadership or the leader actually controlling people, exerting pressure, making sure that they do what they want to do and there's a different type of control. But each one of those churches has control in it. It's just a different person doing it or a different group of people doing it. But either way, there's high control. So let's have a look at what hopefully we would be as a church. Generously supported, well-resourced, well-maintained, Appropriately, appropriately paid and supported staff with high accountability. Does that look like a place you want to give money to? For me it is. It's like, well actually I should really generously support this place. Why? Because this is my home. This is where I gather together with the other saints. This is where I get spiritual food. This is where I get help and love, hopefully. When times of trouble come, I, I ring Neil up and say, man, we're having trouble, can you give us a hand? And I'll go, yes, <laughs> when I can. But there's also a high accountability isn't, that we want, right? Not, not control, talking about accountability, which is part of our thing as disciples of Christ Jesus. We're accountable to one another. We're not controlling of one another, but there's accountability. How does that happen? Well, in this church, we're, we're a not-for-profit. It doesn't mean we can't make a profit. What it means is that if we do make a profit, we can't go to everyone, hey guys, we made a million bucks this year, here's $1,000 each. Or give out a dividend to the committee because they've done such a good job. But the profit is ploughed back into the ministry. Whatever's made is put back to grow ministry. And there's different times we do things. So as I said, when we built this building, we had a lot of money in the bank, but it was for a purpose. We're never to be a dam that holds it. The purpose is what? to build this church. So why? We can start to open up ministry doors in other areas. For example, Food for Life. We couldn't do that over there, but here we have a group of people coming, connecting with the church. Hopefully the men's shed will be starting up sometime within the next year. Where we can reach other people that need help. What, what is the ministry areas? Hopefully that we can meet together during the week. I know that there's a, a connect group that, that meets here because they've grown too big for a house, but it's giving us space. There's a place where we can have our rural kids day so that the churches of the rural area can get the kids in to enjoy and learn about Jesus Christ. There's a purpose behind it. As I said last week, without a purpose, there's no point. So we're not for profit. What does that mean? We have to give account to the government. Firstly, to God, of course. We have to be honest before him as Christians, but we also have to give account to the government. We have to have our books audited every year. We have to have an annual general meeting every year in which people are allowed to come and the books are open, the financial books are open. 
There's a committee that governs things so that they can look at what's being spent and they can give me some boundaries to work in and say, Neil, you can spend this amount or this is your responsibilities. Don't step outside those boundaries. If you do, it's like, well, yeah, let's make a new boundary. We didn't realise that was there. But they're to govern that way, which is one of the reasons why we're changing the constitution to allow that to be a more powerful thing. So there's accountability in what we do. And the heart of this church is to reach people with Jesus, right? Bringing people into God's family. So sharing God's message of life, bringing people into God's family. Teaching them to grow in faith and love and equipping them so that they can share the message wherever they are. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of this church. But when I look at that, is that, is that what you want? where the pastor's not under pressure every day because of finances, where the committee's not trying to cut back everywhere on things that aren't excessive, where there's a freedom to actually live out the gospel without excess but with accountability. I can just tell you right now, you've got that church right here. You've got that church. So I'd like to introduce the committee to you right now, if they could come up, the committee members, please. Amelia, Joel, Naomi, Rebecca, Mitchell, and me. <laughs> I'm on it. But I'm no, in no means whatsoever the, the boss of this church. God is. The congregation elects these people to govern on their behalf. People that hopefully they think are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom from God. So let me introduce them to you, because you might not know them. <laughs> yeah, you can all stand together. All right, we have Joel Norton. <laughs> Please, applause. <laughs> Mitchell Bateman, Rebecca Matthews, Naomi Norton, Amelia Kruger. All right. And me. <laughs> See these faces? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You should be praying for these people, as well as the ministry leaders, of course, of the church. But they've been given a responsibility to govern this church well, and they take it very, very seriously. And so we're just going to pray for them now, and then we're going to wind up um, for today. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your love. I thank you, Father, that you give us the opportunity to get together and achieve something powerful for the kingdom of God in this place. Lord, I pray as we begin to work towards that, that day of, of pledging and things like that, that you'll just place on our heart what you want us to give. Lord, that we wouldn't be a church that's stingy. We wouldn't be a church of excess. But Lord, we would be a church that has generous people, that is looked after well and governed well. And Lord, I just want to pray for these committee members right now. I thank you, Father God, that you have placed them in our lives to, to help guard us, to grow your kingdom in this community. And Father, I'm just praying wisdom upon them. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you'll bless them with a spiritual blessing that's supernatural, that they would know the greatness of your power. Lord, in every area of their life, and I just want to thank you for them now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> yeah, please come up, worship team. Um,
I just might read that little saying that I had before when I was doing the offering. Shouldn't the motive that ought to prompt liberality in the cause of religion and the service of God be greater now than in Old Testament times? Christians ought to go beyond the ancient Hebrew in consecrating themselves and their substance to God. Let's do that, guys. Let's consecrate ourselves to him, the holy God. Now, if you've perhaps come here this morning and you don't actually know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, but today you've been sitting there and you're like feeling something inside, I really need to give myself to God. I've heard this message of Jesus dying for me that was given in communion. This is your opportunity. I'm just going to pray, and you just pray with me and just give yourself to God. As simple as that, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. What does it mean? You're turning away from the old life without him, the emptiness, and you're coming to Jesus. You're allowing God to come in. And the whole reason Jesus died is so you can have a relationship restored with your heavenly Father, and it's a free gift for you, your sins to be forgiven and you to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. So if that's you this morning, I'm just going to pray. You pray with me and just come up the front later after everyone goes out or talk to your friend and let them know you've made that decision. If that's you, just pray with me now. Father, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I haven't been loving you, and yet you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe he died for my sin. I'm just asking you right now to come into my life Forgive me of my sin. From this day on, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.